This is Limit Up, the show where we explore markets, strategies, and trading psychology so that you can take your trading to the next level. All right, everyone, welcome to the Limit Up podcast presented by Top Step Trader. Yeah, the home of the trading combine. I am Jack Pelzer, joined as always by Dan Hodgman. Yeah, nice gap there. Once again, we're doing this remotely. Dan's in Wisconsin. I'm in Chicago. Oil's below zero, or I guess not anymore. But now it's uh, back up. Big day for oil here today. Yeah, when they told you oil couldn't go negative, it turns out that's not true. At least in the front. Don't month. believe them. Yeah, it's really been interesting to see what's happened with the uh, oil uh, ETFs because the minimum those can go is zero, but. Uh, they're invested in assets that can go below zero. I'm not sure how that's going to work out. Right. It's kind of interesting. And I know there's going to be, you know, it's good. What I think is going to be really interesting is how the CME and how the CFTC kind of get involved with this whole situation going forward. How do they start to adjust the, maybe the the limit up, limit down. So I know it has a dynamic limits, you know, because it's a, it's a price fixed off of zero. It's going to be kind of interesting just to see the adjustments that they make with the lessons learned here. Yeah, it was the first time in history. Uh, Before we dive into this just a little bit more, we have a wonderful interview coming up today with Aaron Ghost. And uh, we talk mostly about equities there. And since oil is the big story of the day and we're recording this later, we thought we'd dive into it a little bit. We do it more on the Coach's Playbook, which you can check out on YouTube. But yeah, unlike anything that anyone has ever seen, even Hogue, who's been trading for 35 years, he was... uh, slack messaging us like like he was a little kid just couldn't believe <laughs> every time he'd be like oh my god it's at it's at 30 cents it's at one cent it's at negative five it's at negative 30 dollars it's negative i didn't know this could happen yeah apparently a lot of retail traders didn't either and this is a good time to say that if you decide that you want to trade futures you really need to know the specifications of your product the cme had to go out there and do an emergency message saying that, hey, guys, this contract can go negative, which makes sense when you think about it from an economic standpoint. But there were some retail traders out there that were absolutely decimated because I I saw, for instance, um, interactive brokers took an $88 million provisional loss on people that I presume were buying thinking it couldn't go below zero. Right. I think there's a lot of that out there. But Jack, you make a good point. Just the mere fact of knowing your product, absolutely, you have to kind of know the specifications around it. But I'll even kind of turn it and say, in this situation, this is a whole different environment. This is something never before seen. So you you may hear that it can go can it can go below zero, but to see it actually happen is a whole different ballpark. I mean, this is. This is wild. And just for perspective, we kind of dive into it on Coach's Playbook. But if you were to purchase a barrel below a dollar, you're not necessarily purchasing it. You are claiming the rights to it, and the oil company is paying you to take it, Um, which is just – it's not something you'd ever think. At no point do you think, well, if I buy S&Ps here, they're actually – the S&P company is going to pay me to take delivery of that contract. Like it just doesn't work like that. But when you're talking about these tangible commodities, you know, if you you own hogs and pigs and soybeans, all these sorts of things, if you take delivery on it at the end of that product, most products you don't realize there's an actual deliverable 
that comes along with it. Yeah, uh, my fragile mind was warped by negative interest rates, let alone a negative priced barrel of oil. It's very interesting when you look at these contracts, though, because part of the reason we forget about the physical aspect of the market, you know, something like oil is because quite literally, it's a very small piece of the end volume. So the open interest, I believe, and for for illustration, this is a number, I think I'm right. But for the June contract is maybe like 500,000 at one point. And at the end, only about 2000 contracts will actually be held through for physical delivery. Most people uh, that are trading this market are speculators or hedgers or uh, ETFs, as we discussed, hold a lot of these contracts and they never in their wildest dreams are planning to take some goddamn oil. Right. Well, and that's what that's what mind boggling behind this whole thing. You start to think about it. You see crude oil trading a million contracts in a day. That's, you know, a million crude contracts. That's an astronomical number of uh, crude oil that's actually being moved through the open market every single given day. And right now we're just transferring, keep it simple. You can just say we're transferring a piece of paper that says I'm selling the right or I'm buying the right to that thousand barrels of crude oil, each contract that you're trading. Whereas we kind of forget, we put out of our mind that we're actually trading this tangible object. And that's where this whole thing just gets wild if you're trading crude oil, and I know I've said this in the past where I had uh, I worked with a mentor who was telling me a story. I've mentioned the story multiple times just about he was long a couple of crude oil contracts coming into expiration. He had like an hour to get out of his position. He, for, he knew nothing about it until the secretary came in. But the same process, I remember him telling me the first thought I had was call the wife and have her empty the pool so I have a place to put all this oil. It, it's wild, but... This does happen. People, crazy enough, expire a contract, maybe even forgot that they had the contract, and now they have to figure out, how the hell do I do something with this? You got to go to Cushing, Oklahoma, and you better have access to a pipeline or a lot of train cars or a whole lot of uh, uh, oil tankers. You know, it, it reminds me, this is the same process that sort of blew up in the financial crisis, where it's easy. I feel that there's too many people out there in institutions that forget what is underlying derivatives. And that's how you get into these things when they talk about, you know, there's more money in derivatives than than, than there is any sort of wealth or anything else in the world. It's just make-believe paper made for trading until it isn't. And then everyone is screwed. Now, then you're in the panic mode of what the hell am I going to do with this? So uh, yesterday, I you know I watched um, an interview with the uh, energy secretary, and um, he was about to go into a meeting with uh, Secretary Mnuchin, and he said, "Right now, we've already started making phone calls to companies around the world, companies and countries around the world, to see what kind of reserve room they have to hold some of this oil for us." Um, and the more I thought about it, and I ended up actually having a conversation with my father about it because I wanted to get his input. And, you know, where I sit here and I start to kind of think this is this is insane. Like this, this is kind of frightening to see what's happening. He made an interesting point. He goes, if the U.S. and chances are they do, if the U.S. finds a way to put all this oil into reserves, 
He goes, this could keep gas prices so astronomically low for the consumer for so long that it could actually turn out and work in our benefit. So I'm curious to see the long-term effects and how it all plays out. Well, in the meanwhile, there's just all these oil tankers doing figure eights in the ocean for the meantime. Um, Burning the oil. Yeah, just <laughs> work it off slowly. You know those uh, those very large, what do they call them? Very large, it's some acronym for the, the biggest oil tankers in the world, the ships. They're some of the biggest, they're the biggest man-made moving objects on earth. And uh, they're just... And there's, there's right a ton now. more on their way over from across the Atlantic right now with their shipment. It's absurd. I, I feel like I'm in like Dr. Strangelove or something. This is just such a bizarre situation where we're just we're just drowning in oil right now. I never would have thought this would have happened. No, you wouldn't have. You know, 10 years ago, we'd look back. We would we look back 10 years ago and we think about, OK, we were paying, you know, five bucks a gallon at the pump. We were paying well over one hundred dollars a barrel to see how much has changed in a year. Insane. But then the one thing that really intrigues me is there's such a demand for alternative fuel that, you know, you hear that rhetoric a lot that says, you know, eventually the US, the, the world's going to run out of oil. We have to have a secondary outlet. Right now we are so long oil, it's astronomical. And uh, I'm curious to see if the, electron, uh, the electric vehicle industry starts to get hit. For example, there's a company called Rivian that uh, I'm a big fan of. It's actually an Illinois company uh, based in, I believe, Ottawa, Illinois. And um, they have stopped production for the year 2020. Yeah. So it'll be interesting. Yeah. I feel like there's not a lot of uh, discretionary spending going on for that sort of thing. Um, well, you know, we've gone like nine minutes here and we haven't even mentioned that we're also in a worldwide <laughs> pandemic. Oh, that's right. I forgot yeah. about that. So we talk about that some with Wing Trade's Aaron Ghost, who is lovely enough to join us from Denver, Colorado, where the skiing isn't happening either. But there's still a ton of snow. Still a lot of snow. So that's good. We talked to him about that. So why don't you all sit back, relax, and enjoy our interview today with Wing Trade's Aaron Ghost. All right. Well, today is Thursday, April 16th. It's 9 a.m. Central. Uh, just nowadays, we're trying to say exactly what time these are going down because everything's changing so quickly. And we're so glad to be joined by Aaron Ghost, the co-founder and COO of Wing Trades. Aaron, hello. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm honored to be here. Of course. Well, thanks for stopping by our digital dojo here. Aaron, it's nice to see you. Thank you. Yeah, it's been nice. I hadn't done a lot of these interviews with people who aren't in the room with you, but you know, it's becoming uh, second nature, or at least to me. So glad to have you once again. So uh, it might as well start where everything starts right now. Uh, this podcast won't be out for a week, so we'll probably be completely wrong. But uh, how you doing? How's your lockdown going? Uh, lockdown's going pretty well. Um, enjoying the the condo and keeping my space in my little office and it, it works, but, uh, it, it's getting to everybody. I can tell a lot of the, a lot of the members at wing trades, a lot of the members at top step trader, they're starting to, to see it and uh, people are going a little crazy. And then it doesn't help that of course it's snowing right now. So you can't go outside anyways. 
Yeah, I started feeling it just a little bit this week because it's been it's 28 degrees Fahrenheit this morning in Chicago, which is insanely cold for mid-April. And uh, there's also the construction they're doing next door, which is my constant uh, battle. But yeah, starting to uh, feel it a little bit. But, um, you know, I'll do my time. We'll figure it out. So anyway, Aaron, uh, would you like to kind of give just a little overview of what you do and how it came to be? Absolutely. So I, by trade, uh, I trade options and futures. Uh, started actually sophomore year of high school when uh, my dad and I started buying 10-ounce bars of silver. And uh, we'd, we'd go to the dealer, we'd pick up the 500 pounds of silver, throw it in the back of the truck, and then hold it for a few months and give it back at preferably a higher price. Um, and I got hooked with watching the charts, trying to figure out when that best time was to, to call and lock in the price and sell it back. Hit senior year of high school, and you could legally trade on your own, on your own brokerage firm and uh, put a thousand bucks in. And then within a week, gave half of it back to the market. And uh, it was humbling because I, I mastered this silver trading on a, on a month scale. And then you go into the real markets and it's completely different. That's a common experience. Uh, what's not common is I have never seen someone trade physical commodities like that with the, with a truck full oh, of Jack, silver. Oh, Jack, I've got, I've got bags of it. Oh, I've got bags of it. I've been I've been hoarding silver for years. You're holding that for the apocalypse. Did, <laughs> did, did you ever have to jump in the truck and uh, speed off? Like we really need to get this price right now, or is this? <laughs> no, we we got really lucky. Our our dealer very reputable. He probably traded a million ounces back and forth over a few years, but he would allow you to call him, lock in the price, and then whatever happened went up or down. You would have that that sell order or that buy order in minus his commission. So we, we didn't have to jump in the truck in the middle of the day and take it back to him. But it was, it was a very weird experience, but it, kind of a nice way to get into the market on the, the daily time frame, being able to just watch long-term trends and slowly learn how everything works, or at least appear to learn until you lose half of it in week one of live trading. Some really pure fundamentals there. So what do you think? So you say you got into then trading on the screens and uh, you gave half of it away. I take it you were doing things a little differently, right? Very much so. Yeah, it was a one minute and five minute time frame on penny stocks and it didn't work for me. It wasn't my style of trading. And after years of doing this, I'm learning that I'm much better at setting my order and then forgetting about it for a few weeks or a few days. Um, so it really taught me what works for me may not work for other traders and then vice versa. Dan, you say a lot, those uh, one in five minute charts, it's not a great way to be looking at the market. I, I personally, um, you know, they're, they're fine. I think a lot of people have an experience looking at ones and fives and, and good for them. For me, I've always found that looking at those types of charts, you're not seeing the whole picture. You're only getting a small little fragment of it, um, and you get shaken out way too quickly. You think, oh, instantly on a one-minute chart, we just turned directions. We went from bull to bear. All right, I got to dump this, or I, you know, I, I carry position trades, so I'm, I'm in stuff for longer periods of time. I'm in stuff for short periods of time. If you look too small, 
it shakes you out. Next thing you know, you missed out on the opportunity. You were in a great trade, but because you just saw 10, 12 bars go down, you're long. It's like, well, it's starting to go against me. So that's one of my big recommendations for any trader is make sure you stay away from those in the beginning because you just get shaken out. Let that higher time frame dictate what you're going to do. And if you want to really work on entry points, then okay, let's look at a one and five. You can use that just for entries, but no decision making off of them. Absolutely. Yeah. Whenever I went to that next level of trading, whether it's going from equities into options or options into futures, every time I start on those small time frames and I take a big hit because I'm not not actually learning how to trade. I'm just following these mini movements that reverse every other minute, especially in these market conditions. I think that's a great point you just made there. These market conditions are different. They're not things that uh, traders have seen regularly. And that's one of the biggest things we have to do is find ways to slow down the movement. And so like, that's something I'll tell traders when they're looking at ones and fives, slow it down for yourself, look 1530. And now I'm telling people 1530 might be still too fast. Slow it down a little bit more. Maybe let's get to a one hour or four hour chart to start slowing things down to help read the tape a little bit easier. Absolutely right. Yeah, right now, the only chart that I'm looking at for futures is the one hour. And that's been going really well. Whenever I try to change it and go, well, I can get a quicker entry on a 30, I'm always getting stopped out. And it's it's just trial and error at that point until you find what works for you. Absolutely. What, uh, what products are you focusing on mostly with uh, everything going on right now? I trade about 99% ES futures. They're just simple. Um, I've traded SPY options for a few years. So I know how that, how that movement occurs during the day. And then I realized that, well, you can go to the source of SPY options where that's really tracking and trade ES. So it's just a a better way to deal with it. And you don't have time decay in the form of options with that futures trading. There are so many added complexities to a lot of the futures products that aren't the uh, index options. Uh, I come from trading bonds and there's all sorts of other stuff you need to know there or commodities the same deal so especially for beginning traders i think that that's a good place to look at it's uh, it's pretty intuitive um what you're doing there so as a young man you got chewed up a little bit you turned it around um did you turn it around as we were talking about just by looking at the bigger picture or uh what kind of turned your stuff around i mean the the biggest part was probably just trial and error over the years um started by Going for those longer time frames, right? 60 minute, looking at the day, the day time frame to try to figure out, okay, where is, where's the big picture really moving? Um, but I still got caught up in the, the short term moves, still get caught up in seeing these massive runners and then jumping on and either holding a bag or getting rid of it for far less than what you should have. But it's, it's a lot of it is just trial and error and learning what works best for yourself as far as trading. Did you, after you, I understand you went to school, you're an engineer? Yeah, so I, I'm still in school. I went to school for engineering uh, for a few years, and then I decided to add a double major, and so now I'm finance and uh, engineering. So it, it allows me to, to get the bigger picture of engineering, which for me is problem solving and looking at a picture and going, okay, how can we, how can we fix this? How can we build this? And then with finance, being able to figure out 
why the money moves the way it does. And that hasn't only helped me in, in career and studies, but with trading as well, because it really is a game of problem solving, trying to figure out where the money is going, why it's moving. And with our current conditions, it could be any number of things. Um, and then figuring out where best to put your capital to have it work for you. So it's, it's kind of a, a, a bonus having both of those majors and, and working through school while trading. So it's, it's just a, it's an awesome experience. Definitely. I think a lot of people outside the industry kind of equate things such as finance or economics with trading, but they are very, very different. And I think the problem solving is probably the most important part of it. But I do think you're right that having a, ultimately these are dollars and cents a lot of the times, uh, or ticks if you're fancy in one of those fancy products. Uh, but it is super important to understand at least enough of the financial aspects to to be well grounded, not to be out of your uh, out of your debt, so to speak. So that is very cool. So specifically, are you applying any engineering things you've learned to the trades? Or I'm curious because I'm not an engineer. I come from an econ background. Yeah. So a lot of the engineering for me is looking at the math and trying to see if it adds up but not trying to go to the point where you get an exact answer because everything lines up perfectly. Cause at, at the end of the day, it is markets. It is emotion that plays into, a, into it a lot. So being able to, to have a little bit of the understanding of, okay, if a happens, then B should follow the same thing will happen in structures. If you use part a, you're going to get a reaction on, on part B. So being able to, kind of use those fundamental forces of nature in trading of if somebody does this or if the market does this, it should follow with some reaction. So kind of using that philosophy is what's allowed me to look at the big picture and then not overreact uh, to any given movement. Yeah, I think one of the most interesting things about trading, I think you made a good point. You said they're still markets, they're going to do what they want to do. And um, I've heard from multiple different people over the years, one plus one does not equal two in trading. And that's, I, I think that's exactly what it is. It's a matter of if A happens, you're expecting B to happen. If B doesn't happen, you've got to stop, adjust, you know, get out of that position, move on to the next trade. Absolutely. So on the flip side, you and I, we got a little background similar. You're in the Navy. I was in the Marine Corps. Um, so thanks for your service. And um, I want to ask you, one of my big things is I found ways to correlate my time in the Marine Corps to my trading. I've been trading since I was, uh, I think, 16. Um, then I went to the Marine Corps. My trading post-Marine Corps was completely different than pre-Marine Corps. How's the Navy affected your discipline? How have you applied some of those skills to this? Well, it's been a, a really interesting background. I, I don't want to take credit for what I didn't do. Um, I spent three and a half years in a program called the United States Naval Sea Cadet Corps, which is kind of like a JROTC program, but it's co-funded by the U.S. Navy and U.S. Coast Guard. And it gave me the opportunity to learn discipline, learn some of the, the seamanship and the skills that come with being in active duty military. And then during uh, junior, senior year, I applied for the, the Naval Academy and to the ROTC programs. Ended up getting the nomination to the academy, but didn't get the appointment. Um, so I ended up going ROTC. And freshman year, went through went through the program, really enjoyed it. 
but about halfway through decided that it really wasn't for me and ended up you know, giving the giving the position back and transferring schools, which was a, a shock, but I'm glad I did it because I, I realized that it, it wasn't for me. But being able to have that experience, whether it's in active duty or in a training role, really gave me the discipline that I use for trading now, which is if something's not happening, if there's no trade, if there's no reason to be in a position, don't stand there, do nothing, stand by to stand by, basically. So a lot of that has uh, has helped me in my trading and in just being a better person. And it, it really helped me grow up because I was I was a fun kid, had my fair share of stupidity. Didn't we all? Oh, yeah. But it, it helped me greatly being able to to be in that role. And well, I wish I could have gone into that into that active duty role, served, had a commission. It it just wasn't for me, and it, it wouldn't have been right for the people who I served with. I think Absolutely. both. Well, you know, you. Oh, sorry, Dan. You can continue there. I was just gonna say, you say stand by to stand by. We. I. One of the things that I found, and I kind of relate is the concept of like in the Marine Corps, we're not allowed to put our hands in our pockets. You just don't do it. And someone will ask me, so how do you correlate your discipline? You know, how to discipline work? And for me, it's not so much, I'm not afraid to put my hands in my pockets. I'm afraid that I'm going to come around the corner and, you know, some gunny or master guns is standing there and he's about to light me up. Like, that's why I don't put my hands in my pocket. And that's the same thing with trading. You have to have that sort of repercussion that comes around with it. There has to be something, you know, if if you're going to tell yourself you're only going to take three trades in a day and you take seven, and if there's no repercussion, you're going to do it again and you're going to do it again. And so finding that's for me, one of the biggest things I found is the simplest connection to trading and creating discipline. Absolutely. Yeah. I've found that whenever I begin over trading, if I get up, leave the screen, close all the trades, of course, (laughs) leave the screen (laughs) and uh, just take an hour or two to, to go do something else that prevents really digging a hole that I don't want to get out of the next day or week or month. Well, that's why I love outside uh, support systems so much is that I I was lucky enough that when I I started my career in trading, I was at a prop firm and there were a lot of people there to uh, put you in line when you were acting like a fool, as uh, Mr. T would say. And I don't know that if I were going at it alone, that I would be able to, even even though you get disciplined by losing money or ruining a good day, me personally, I still need something external telling me that because I'll be too quick to just kind of write it off and go to the next thing. Absolutely. You know, I hate being in trouble in general. That is one of my things. I seek to avoid it. So I think, and it doesn't have to be a negative reinforcement. There's positive things too. Uh, That's what I really like about all these resources and communities that are out there right now for traders, because otherwise it's, it's a pretty lonely gig and it's hard to come up with the internal motivation to do the things that you know you need to do, but don't always follow through on them. Absolutely. Even if it's just having someone to, tell you to get up and walk away or to get you distracted in a, in a conversation. So you don't take that next trade that doesn't have a setup. 
Yeah, the shoulder tap, we call exactly. it. Exactly. I think I think the concept of having someone there just to make conversation with is huge. I found I've always worked around people, whether I'm in the prop shop, wherever I'm trading, there's always a group of people that help kind of create that distraction. How are you doing with everything going on right now? Stuck inside, you know, not even be able to really get out and hang out with people. How have you handled that isolation? I mean, it, it's been different because I can't go out and do things like we've done for the last decade. But a lot of the, the social aspect of trading, the being in the same boat with everybody else has still been there. We've got a lot of members and and teammates with the wing trades community that when we get bored, when there's a, a slow Friday in the market, we're still actively ch- uh, talking and, and discussing different trades for the next week or just enjoying it an afternoon of just off topic discussion and just letting time pass. So we don't do something that we'd regret on a Friday afternoon. Yeah. That's when the uh, mistakes really come out, out of the darkness. Friday afternoons are dangerous. Oh, yeah. I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story about that. I, I worked for my, my dad owned the prop shop I worked at, and he was my first mentor on the floor. We were trading a 30-year bond option, and he looks at me on a Friday, and it's probably 9, 30, 10 o'clock. He looks at me and says, what do you say we, uh, we get out of here and get up to, get up to the lake? And I was like, well, Dad, it's, it's only 9.30. I, I'm staying. You know, Markets are open till 2. I'm going to be here, see if I can make a couple extra bucks. I'll meet you up there. So – he goes off, has a great day, he has a great morning. He takes off and he gets up to Wisconsin. I was up in the morning. I stayed. I traded throughout the day. I get up to Wisconsin about 5.30. I'm walking into the house to meet up with my parents and family, go out on the boat, go out to dinner. And my dad looks at me and goes, so I saw your P&L statement. Yeah, yeah shouldn't, uh, I should not have stayed on the floor. And that's when I've learned. That's when I learned there are certain times throughout the week that, you know, Friday afternoon, it's going to be a questionable trade sometimes. And so for me, it's those little things and finding those ways to create the distraction and get away from it is huge. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the 10 minutes before close on Friday is pure chaos. The hour before close, there's normally not a setup unless you're looking on a, a larger time frame to, to pick something up for the next week or, or for a, a monthly position. But Trying to day trade Friday is just a nightmare. <laughs> I, I think that's a good point. It's pure madness to try. If you have to be flat by the end of the day Friday, you don't need to be dealing with that nonsense. I mean, all sorts of things can happen because like the people that are actually you know, trading there is I would only stick around if there was a position that I was trying to hold, as you said, Aaron, for a, a longer term play that I wanted to have on over the weekend. But, you know, it just don't. Save yourself some uh, antacid medication bills and just don't do it. Right. Most of those people trading at that time are just hedging positions, you know, moving deltas and keeping neutral. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about uh, wing trades and uh, how it came to be. Like, how do you start that or why? I think is probably the best question. Yeah. So another weird story. Um, freshman year, while I was in the ROTC program, I was really actively trading out of my dorm room, trading J-Nug, J-Dust, stock and options during Fed events. It was a horrible idea. It worked really well, but by pure luck. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I had this wonderful idea that if I were to create video logs of all of my 
all of my trades at the end of the day, I would keep myself accountable, kind of that, that self-discipline there, and prevent making some of the mistakes that I, I kept making. Um, so I started making YouTube videos. They're horrible. They're, they're still posted, but I'm not going to get rid of them because it's, it's just too good. <laughs> but I was just going to say, I am so glad that there is no video evidence of me trading uh, <laughs> between like 2010 and 2017. There's none of me either. Thank God. <laughs> well, it, it keeps me humble a little bit. I mean, they're awful. Uh, some of the positions were great, but the logic was completely wrong. Um, but it, it's a good reminder of, of where you come from and to not go back to that. Because um, <laughs> it, it, it's a learning experience. That's what every day is for trading. But we, uh, we started making these videos and... I got approached by a guy who who's running a, a community of sorts where he'd send out alerts, you'd get people talking, the, the just basic uh, chat and trading community. And he offered to, to pay me for each of these videos and post them under his company name. And I was like, well, I'm a broke college student trading on a, a pretty small account. And uh, why not? Because why not? Right. <laughs> um, Started doing those for him and really enjoyed it. It was it was a great time. I had a lot more resources and editing capabilities so I could make the videos better, really make it more of a, an experience, make it more enjoyable to watch. And then I started helping him with marketing and started getting more active in his community, trading more, learning a lot more. And uh, then all of a sudden he disappeared for three months and I ended up running his company uh, with the help of, uh, of his COO, um, who I'm really good friends with. Awesome guy. And then three months later, he comes back and tells me that I ruined his vision of the community, despite making him uh, just over $300,000 in membership fees. And it was, it was stupid. I, I realized that for him, it was just about the money. And for me, it was, I wanted to trade and help people and talk with people and, and build a community. So we ended up, uh, I actually got fired because I ruined his, uh, his vision so much and filled his pockets. Um, and we, we started wing trades. So two years later, we're still really small, but that's allowed us to really focus on every one of our members and ensure that they're not digging a hole that they can't get out of make sh making sure that we're always around to, to answer questions during the day at, at 11 o'clock at night when I'm up watching TV, whatever. So it's, it's allowed for just a really tight knit community of traders. My, my trading has increased dramatically over the years. I've had more capital to work with. I've been able to really focus on discipline as the, the big picture and by helping other people get their get their foot in the door uh, with trading or just continue what they're already doing has helped me focus on those fundamentals every single day so I don't get cocky and take a, a massive position in something that I really shouldn't. But it's it's been an amazing journey of just really finding people that want to learn and want to have a community of people to talk with instead of just blindly following alerts. So it, it's been awesome. It's been great. 
entrepreneurs can be a weird bunch. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I swear the most erratic stories of behavior I hear are either from traders or entrepreneurs. And then when you put them together in this industry, you sometimes get some people doing some weird things. So that's cool that you were able to uh, start your own thing out of that. Yeah, it, it was a blessing in disguise. I I was pissed of getting fired after making him a bunch of money and me basically getting nothing. But it, it, it was a blessing in disguise that we could create wing trades and, and grow this, this small community into something that's really awesome now. What are you telling your traders right now, just with everything going on, volatility where it's at? Obviously, we've slowed down, I guess, slightly on the volatility mark. But uh, what are you guys talking about now? How, how have you guys adjusted for the current conditions? I mean, the biggest thing is trade smaller than you think you need because the magnitude of movement in the market is going to give you twice or three times the amount of profit or loss if you're on the wrong side uh, than you would in a in a lower volatility market. So, so trading smaller is the biggest thing. But a saying that's kind of developed over the, the last few years is see profit, take profit. And that's if you have it and you're getting cocky, you're seeing that next resistance way up there and it's, it's probably not going to happen. If you just close the trade, you take that profit, you're, you're not going to lose it. And in these conditions, especially when every other candle seems to reverse, it's more important than ever to just be able to, to lock it in, walk away for a minute, and then reevaluate your next trade. Absolutely. When this all began, I, I was actually talking with our founder, Michael Patak, and we were messing around a little bit. And we were just saying anything green in this condition is a good day. You know, Absolutely. outright trading with these moves, with with the volatility we're seeing, if you can lock in green, outstanding, go enjoy it, get the heck away. Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of what we're seeing for those who, who really actively day trade, that if they get five, 10 points, which is insane in normal market conditions, that if, if they're not taking it, they're just leaving money on the table. And it's it's horrible. It's, it's horrible to see some of those. You can't let the the opportunity out there now affect the way you're trading for the you know future because it's going to go back we're, we're going to slow things down eventually and um you know how do you how do you handle how do you prepare for that well i think it's that concept of you know if you're in a good trade that was a good trade six months ago it's a good trade now take that money and move on absolutely yeah a lot of my personal trading with futures has turned more towards the the math based and, and algorithmic trading. Well, I can't trade it fully automated with top step trader yet. I'm, I'm going to be getting that approved here in the next few weeks. Um, a lot of it is letting the computer decide when that entry is there. And we've got a, a strategy that is, it basically tells you when that entry is setting up and then you do your own due diligence and decide if the trade is right for you. But, just following that instead of trying to, to grab five, 10 points back and forth has helped my P&L curve exponentially these last few months. It's been, it's been awesome. And the less human interaction with the trade, the less emotion, the less uh, directional bias that you have, the better the trade and the less stressful it is while that trade is open. Obviously, a computer is going to execute the trade if it's there 
faster than a human. But I think even if you don't have a uh, strong computer background or coding background, just the process of writing down what your algorithm would be is really helpful as far as defining your process. Even if you can't get to the point where you're executing it in some way, going through the steps of refining what you would tell a computer to do, I think could be really helpful for a lot of people. I think it's a great exercise. Absolutely. It's all about process. All about process. Yeah. So one thing about the volatility, since we were talking about that, is uh, taking the profits important because even, and it sounds insane to say that it's been pretty in the grand scheme of the last month or two, pretty slow in equities the last two days, as far as I don't remember there being a hundred point moves either way. But even if these markets tighten up around here, there's so much lurking under the surface of, you know, that next once in a year move is probably a once in a week move now. And it could happen at any point in time with any piece of information of which there are thousands of them out there. Whether it's a, a tweet or a, a news article or anything that comes out, it, it can throw the market for, for quite a tailspin. Absolutely. And that's what we have to be prepared for right now. You're talking about algos and computers. They, every single person right now has a finger on the switch to shut that thing off as soon as they don't like the news. And that's where we have to be careful with our human discretion is if that poor news comes out, when's that switch getting flipped off and how fast can this market move on us? Absolutely. Yeah, it's unusual to be sitting in an index and kind of almost have the same mentality of almost uh, like a speculative biotech stock or something, because some piece of news could come out on the medical front and just change everything on a dime. And that's just, I've never seen anything like it before because we've never seen anything like this before. So yeah, that's one of the reasons why I've changed from trying to do swing trading and momentum trading on, on small, smaller stocks and went to indexes. So I could avoid that single news item messing everything up. And here we are in, in these weird conditions where it really is just acting like a single stock with earnings almost. It's, it's got those types of moves where it's just massive swings in either direction for no good reason other than somebody tweeted something and whether there was merit or not to it, it still had an effect on the market. So I think right now is such an interesting time, even – you know, good news coming out is not affecting them. Or you think, um, you know, you look at yesterday's economic numbers, um, you know, retail sales, total miss. Stocks did not perform as poorly as I would have expected with a miss that big. And it's a conversation I think we had, we talked with someone a few weeks ago, and it's this aspect of right now, all these numbers are creating baselines for us to look at in the future, you know, six months down the road. What are you, what's your thought on that? How are you looking at these economic numbers and how are you going to utilize it going forward? Well, it's, it's a weird, weird position right now in that the more I try to make sense of these numbers that are coming out, the more I get a bias that ends up destroying a position. So I've gotten to the point where I will ignore as much of the news as possible and just see how the market is reacting to whatever just came out. Because at that point, I don't care what the news is. The market's going to tell me whether or not I, I actually listen to it. It'll tell me where it's going to go. 
as far as, okay, is it going to act uh, bullish or bearish off the news, whatever. And then looking back at the news, whether it's 30 minutes, an hour later, whatever, once the, the news is really priced in and the market is doing uh, doing what it's supposed to, going back to that normalcy, um, then I can look back at it and go, okay, did it act in a way that I would have expected it to? And about 70, 80% of the time, it does the complete opposite. So ignoring it for me has been more beneficial than trying to, to piece it together within half a second as the market's flying in one direction. That's absolutely a great point. I think someone on, on Twitter, and I can't remember uh, which, which handle it is, their kind of motto is uh, think macro, trade micro. And I think that that's really important right now. You need to be thinking and know the mechanisms of the macro things going on, but ultimately the market is going to tell you how those are going to be priced in. And you can't tie yourself or chain yourself to your opinion on what this means. Absolutely. Yeah. Whenever I set an opinion or a bias of direction, I somehow end up being wrong most of the time. And when I just let the market do what it needs to do, I follow the the system, follow the algorithm and, and trade what it's telling me. It acts so much better for my account because Humans are wrong most of the time, especially in, in speculation. Right. Don't let the don't get in front of the steamroller, get behind it, let it go, and just take what you can. Exactly. That's good advice. Are you guys still holding a truck full of precious metals? No. <laughs> I, I don't want to get you the, robbed, but <laughs> no. the uh the truck full of precious metals uh paid for a freshman year of college, so it it was worth it. It was uh, a long term investment through high school. Um, both learning how to trade and and being able to pay for pay for that first year, and now trading pays for all the all the consecutive years after that, and and everything else that goes with life. So we've been very lucky. That's great. I still have quite a bit. It is not stored in the house, so don't come <laughs> to my house and try and find it. <laughs> very nice. Yeah, my grandfather it. had me buying silver as a kid. And we've slowly stocked. I've slowly been buying it up and up and up. And I think I've been buying silver for 25 years. That's awesome. Hopefully a pretty good uh, cost basis there. We're doing all right so far. Good. That's cool. I don't know a lot about the silver market. So we'll have to talk about this sometime, Dan. But uh, (laughs) that's a fun thing you're in right there. Honestly, it's just one of those things, you know, it's like Aaron's saying, it, it was an experience to hold that commodity and I've just kept buying it and I forget at times that I have it. And, you know, one day maybe I'll, who knows what I'll do with it. Um, maybe if this pandemic gets a little bit worse, I've got a little bit of a uh, little bit of leverage for some toilet paper. Who knows? That'd be an expensive roll of toilet paper. <laughs> I'll have for a roll of toilet paper. No, thanks. That's what keeps me out of it. Uh, precious metals are a lifestyle listeners. You know, if you're, <laughs> it, it, it's like that. yeah, They're, you're either super for metals or you're super against it, or you forget that you have any altogether. Yeah. They performed pretty well. I've seen the correlation uh, of the uh, safe haven assets with the S and P 500. Oh, here we go. So we'll take a poll. Uh, best safe haven over the, the timeline, just going back a while. Is it uh, gold crypto? 
or treasuries? Ten-year treasury note. Ooh, good question. As, and I'm basing this on correlation to the S&P 500. Correlation to it. Okay. Um, so which has the least correlation? I want to say cryptocurrency. Dan? Um, hold on a second. I have to look at something. <laughs> that's cheating. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, incidentally, that's another lifestyle right there, the crypto lifestyle. I'm, I'm a fan of that one. Um, I don't know. It's, it's the, I'll just tell you at this point. It's yeah, the 10 year treasury. Gold, it is tenure. Okay. Yeah. But rever- reverse correlated. And uh, crypto is actually the most correlated, which is probably not a great thing for the people in the crypto lifestyle right now. Actually, there's, there's still a pretty big correlation between them just because it's still a risk asset. What percent is um, the inverse correlation on tenure to uh, equities? I think it's like, I was like minus 0.2 or something. It was the only one that was negative. Like gold, I believe, was even like... You know, zero is basically no correlation. So it, it, it was it was very close to that. Interesting. But I think uh, cryptos were like a 0. 0.5 or something. Maybe someday. I hope so. I hope it disconnects. Yeah, we won't we won't go off on a huge tangent into <laughs> crypto. I was going to say we could go off for hours and hours talking about cryptocurrency. We'll do I'm that sure. someday. I like the I, I really do like the idea of it, but I I've never thought, for instance, that like there's any reason it has to be. Bitcoin per se. So that's why I stay out of that stuff. I think Bitcoin is the reason it's the big one is because there's a futures market behind it right now. But the science and technology and where everything's going is just think crypto has a chance somewhere. And I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I I don't think the world has caught up to it yet. It'll have its time, whether it's a year or a decade or a century from now, but people don't accept it. And that's well, once once governments back. can once the government can regulate it in a way, then oh, yeah. maybe we'll start to see some acceptance. Yeah, people and and government control because that's that's what they want at the end of the day. They want to control it somehow. Bitcoin needs an army, <laughs> right? And not the and army, not an army of teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> not right. I have a funny. I won't tell it. I'll tease this for another episode uh because I, I i need permission from the person to tell the story about them but i have a interesting story about that um <laughs> that's what we call the biz teasing well aaron um that's probably a good place to end it for today uh thanks so much for joining us uh everybody who's listening you can find more of aaron's videos and go back to the archive to see him uh trade back in the day over at uh, wingtrades.com. Yeah, well, I'll be sure to put those videos uh, where you can find them instead of buried <laughs> in, the, in the depths of YouTube because it's, it's a good time seeing where you come from and, and how far you've grown because it is possible to, to get from the, oh, you're trading very simple strategies and very basic strategies, and then you mess it up by just pure emotion and then getting into more of the, there's a reason for my trade and for every trade. And now you're starting to make some money. So it's, it's good to see how everything comes together and how that all lines up. Hey, it's a sign of just immense internal strength to be able to watch or publicly share videos that you made in the past. I'm still not at that point. Maybe someday. It's something. <laughs> I wouldn't call it strength. It'd be, it'd be internal struggle letting <laughs> those be public. It's always about the struggle. 
Well, uh, usually I'd tell you to go uh, hit the slopes now, but... Um, but they're all closed. <laughs> yeah, they're all closed. So Backcountry's still open. You can still squeeze back there, I'm sure. I might have to do that. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thanks so much, Aaron, uh, for joining us. Once again, he's over at wingtrades.com. We'll see you guys, the listeners, after this break. Guys and gals, thank you for making it to the end of the Limit Up podcast presented by Top Step Trader. <sighs> we got a little bit uh, heated in the introduction there, Dan, but I, I don't know what else you can say. Well, it, you know, there's a, there's a lot going on. Emotions are running high with the current pandemic that we're in that we took nine minutes to bring up. Um, oil is just such an interesting subject right now that it's mind-boggling. And I think that's what's so exciting to be able to sit here and have these conversations around it and slightly be involved in that whole sector that eventually one day we're going to look back and, you know, maybe maybe we'll have kids one day that are trading and we're going to go, I remember the time crude oil went negative $43. Yeah. It's such a cool time to be alive in a sense to witness some of these things. Yeah. It'll be like, shut up, dad. I want to fly my drone or I don't know what right. people, we're already flying drones. It'd be something. Dad, else. what the hell is crude oil? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll all be holograms. Uh, thank you very much again to Aaron Ghost for stopping by. He was wonderful. I really enjoyed talking to him. And um, we have some other interviews coming up that we've already recorded. So during the intros and outros is when we'll progressively go down the road to madness. Uh, kind of reminds me of the, uh, seen in Dumb and Dumber with the, uh, the our pets' heads are falling off. Uh, everything's <laughs> r- really going off the rails at this point. But I'm glad you guys are out there to uh, join us. So that's something. Absolutely. Yeah, so that's, I guess, all we have to say for now. So, uh, hey, as usual, it's Thursday afternoon, which means, uh, you know, maybe trade a little bit tomorrow morning, and then you're done with the week, and you can enjoy this week the week. by. It did. You know what? Like we're recording this Wednesday afternoon and um, yeah, it's a good feeling. It feels like it could be a Monday. So it also helps that I took Monday off. Oh yeah, that (laughs) does help. I suppose. Well, I'll have a whole weekend of doing chores around the house, but uh, it's productive. So anyway, everyone have a wonderful weekend. Namaste and trade well. Limit Up Podcast is produced by Dante32. Futures and Forex trading contain substantial risk and is not for every investor. An investor could potentially lose all or more than their initial investment. Risk capital is money that can be lost without jeopardizing one's financial security or lifestyle. Only risk capital should be used for trading, and only those with sufficient risk capital should consider trading. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results.